Let me invite you to open your Bibles with me one last time this morning to our studies in the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, where we will read the final seven verses of the book. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of exile is a burden on them. Behold, I am going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are a restorer of fortunes, that you are a God who clears away our iniquity and forgives our sin, and that you are preparing for us joy in the days ahead in the age that is to come. Help us to leave in that joy today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's one of the most striking, perhaps one of the most surprising portraits of God in all the Bible when we find him here at the end of the book of Zephaniah singing. I'm not sure we're accustomed, as perhaps we ought to be, to think of God as a singer, to think of God making melody over his people. But that's what we have here at the end of Zephaniah 3.17. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy, or as many other translations have it, with singing. So that the picture here, and a delightful picture it is indeed, the picture here is of the Lord God himself lifting up his own voice in song over his people. Just as a father who loves his children, yes, God is, we've read in this book, going to discipline his children and discipline them severely. The land of Judah in Zephaniah's day is filled with idolatry, with apostasy, with prayerlessness, with spiritual stagnation, and all manner of vice and godlessness. And whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And in this case, in Old Testament Judah, whom the Lord loves, he's going to send into Babylon for 70 years of exile. But... As with a child who is made to stand in the corner for several minutes, or as with a teenager who is grounded for several days, Judah was going to learn also that agonizing as those years of exile may have been, 70 years is not forever. As King David wrote, his anger is but for a moment, 
His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. And here, at the end of the book of Zephaniah, is that shout of joy. Here is the singing after the long night of Judah's exile. Here, just as the early parts of the prophecy warn of God's discipline, here, at the end of it all, is the promise of God's restoration and even of his merrymaking and song over his people. So I wonder if you ever thought about God like that, making merry, singing, making melody over his people, indeed over you, if you're in Christ. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy, says our text today. Or in the King James, he will joy over thee with singing. If your vision of God is of a dour face or of a stoic, expressionless face, then you especially need to hear this verse. It's true, yes, God is the most serious being in the universe, not to be trifled with, holy, 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 with eyes too pure to approve evil. And yet, the earnest and holy seriousness of God means that he is serious about joy as well. And he rejoices over his people with singing, no less. Indeed, it's not too much to say from Zephaniah 3.17 here that God makes merry over his people. And that's a very striking, indeed, a very appealing and a very accurate picture of the God of the Bible. He will joy over thee with singing. But then we need to notice in this passage that it's not only God who is singing, in this final portion of Zephaniah, but his people are urged to sing as well. His people are urged to make merry in him. Verse 14, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Why are they to sing? Well, remember that the first portion of this book announces not God's singing, but his seething, his anger against sin, and his judgments upon sin, both within Judah and Jerusalem and without. And one of the upshots of God's anger against sin was going to be his soon coming discipline upon his covenant people, upon the people of Judah. They were going, as we said a moment ago, to go into exile in Babylon. And we read about that in chapter 1. Just to remind you, pick up with me in chapter 1, verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated His guests. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the king's sons, and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. And I will punish on that day all who leap upon the temple threshold, who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, and a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the people of Canaan will be silenced. All who weigh out silver will be cut off. It will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good or evil. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. Yes, they will build houses but not inhabit them and plant vineyards but not drink their wine. 
So here is the Lord's discipline, his chastisement upon his people to make them see the seriousness of their sin and to teach them a lesson so that they should never go back that way again. But now, in verse 14, God tells them to sing, to rejoice. Why? Well, because, as we know from Psalm 30, and as we are reminded in the final verses of Zephaniah, his anger is but for a moment. And after all the pain of the exile and the sacking of Jerusalem and the empty houses in Judah, the Lord is going to restore his people's fortunes. Isn't that what these final verses of Zephaniah tell us? His people have sinned, yes, but God will forgive them, verse 15. He will return to their midst, verse 15. They will no longer fear invasion, verse 16. God will sing over them in verse 17. The feasts will be celebrated in Jerusalem once more, verse 18. They will no longer be oppressed, verse 19, but praised. And they will get to come home in verse 20 from exile. At that time I will bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. All of that is reason for singing, is it not? The call for God's people to sing to God in verse 14 is because God is singing over them and granting them all sorts of other blessings as well in verses 15 through 20. And if you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find that the Lord was true to his word here, true to his promises here in Zephaniah 3. God did take away his judgments and forgive his people, verse 15. The Jews did return from exile, verse 20. Jerusalem and its temple were rebuilt and the feasts were reinstituted, verse 18. And thus, the people of God in the book of Ezra did sing and shout and rejoice Verse 14, with all their hearts. And though I don't think Ezra or Nehemiah record it, we can be sure that accompanying those scenes of restoration, harmonizing with the songs that were being sung in Jerusalem, there was a wonderful soundtrack sounding forth in heaven too, with God himself as the chief vocalist, joying over his people with singing. But you know, the restoration described in these verses and the singing too, both God's singing and his people's singing, these things were not reserved simply for the Jewish return from exile two plus millennia ago. That's not all that Zephaniah is speaking of here because you may remember that the Jewish exile in and return from Babylon is not the only judgment and not the only restoration spoken of here in Zephaniah's prophecy. God also in this prophecy, in addition to promising this temporary judgment on his people, this exile in Babylon, God also promised in the book of Zephaniah a final judgment in chapter 1. And again here in chapter 3, verse 8, God promised a final judgment on all the earth. Therefore, verse 8, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of 
my zeal. This is a different judgment than the exile in Babylon. Here is the judgment that will be not just upon the Jews, but upon all the earth, we're told in verse 8. Here is a judgment that will last not just 70 years, but forever. I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth, and I will cut off man from the face of the earth. Chapter 1, verse 3. So there are two different judgments spoken of in this book of Zephaniah, but also two different restorations because we see in chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, which we considered last week, we see in those verses, after the removal of man from the face of the earth, after the complete wiping out of mankind from earth's face, we see in verses 9 through 13 that a remnant will return, not just of Jews and not just to Jerusalem, but that people will come, verse 10, from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia to inhabit a new world. And indeed, the reality is that even now these people are returning to their maker. Even now they, and many of us among them, are leaving behind our sins and turning to the Lord and to his Christ and finding ourselves restored from our spiritual exile. So that both as we come to Christ through the gospel in this life and as we come to him finally in glory in the next, what God says of his people and of himself here at the end of Zephaniah was not only true of the ancient Jews when they came home to Jerusalem, but these things at the end of Zephaniah's prophecy in verses 14 and following, these things are also true of us when we come to Christ and when through him we someday Go home to glory. Verses 14 through 20 speak of us too if we are in Christ. The restoration of all things. And so what I want to do with the remainder of our time this morning is just to walk back through the restoration promises of verses 14 through 20 written to Judah before she ever went into exile but written in the past tense because since these are the promises of God they were already as good as done. I want to look at these good as done promises which meant so much to ancient Judah and think about how they apply to us too and why they should make us sing. Verse 14, as we come from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia and indeed from the ends of the earth into God's kingdom, both now and in the age to come. I want us to think about these promises of God now under several headings. So notice first of all God's promise of forgiveness. His promise of forgiveness. Verse 14, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because, verse 15, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. Now, for Zephaniah's first hearers, for the people who initially read this prophecy, the promise was very simply, God is going at the end of our exile to forgive our sins which sent us there. God is going to forgive our idolatry and our apostasy and our prayerlessness and so on. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. But that promise is true. That promise speaks not only to the ancient Jews returning from Babylon, but this promise is true of all those people about whom we read last week and in whose number 
many of us have joined who have come from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia to worship the Lord, verse 1, and to take refuge in his Christ, verse 12. If you have come to take refuge in Christ, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you, has he not? If you are in Christ, if you have come to walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses you from all sin. Which is why when God clears the earth, when the earth, verse 8, is devoured in the fire of his zeal, you will not be devoured. Because Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And it's the same thing we have here in Zephaniah 3.15, isn't it? The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, he has nailed them to the cross. And that is reason for singing, is it not? Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because in the words of Horatio Spafford, my sin... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. That's the very first promise that belongs to us here in this last portion of Zephaniah. Forgiveness, in verse 15, the Lord has taken away his judgments against you. And I hope you know it by having come to know Christ. And if you don't know forgiveness, you may know it, even if you've never known it before. You may know God's forgiveness, even where you sit just now, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be forgiven. Believe in the Lord Jesus and the Lord will take away his judgments against you. Forgiveness. But then notice also, secondly, the promise in these verses of fellowship. For those who return to the Lord. Fellowship. Part of what was so sad about Jerusalem's discipline, about Judah's discipline in times of old, is that God removed his manifest presence, his felt and known presence from among them. Indeed, there is this solemn scene in Ezekiel chapters 10 and 11 of the glory of God rising up and departing from the temple in Jerusalem. But now, God enjoins the people of Jerusalem, from which he has departed, to sing. Why? Because the promise here at the ending of Zephaniah is that the Lord will return. Verse 15, the King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. Verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst. So that not only would the people return to God and to Jerusalem, but God would return to them as well. The Lord your God is in your midst, verse 17. And again, this is what we have in the gospel, is it not? This is a promise for us too. In the gospel, God has not only come to us in the glory cloud of the temple, but in the incarnation of his very own son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated God with us. The Lord your God in the person of Jesus Christ has come into your midst. And not only 
was God in our midst in his incarnation for those 33 years, but also in the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling like the glory cloud of old in the temple of our own hearts, even today. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that today, if you belong to Christ, these words apply to you as well. The King of Israel, verse 15, is in your midst. The Lord your God, verse 17, is in your midst. And He will be so, even all the more tangibly, when the earth has been burnt up, verse 8, and when we have come to dwell in a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Revelation 21. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. That was the promise when the Jews first returned to Babylon. That is the promise even today of the gospel, God with us. And it is all the more the promise here at the end of Zephaniah and at the end of the Bible, it is all the more the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And I say again, this is reason for singing. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. And that last phrase of verse 15, you will fear disaster no more introduces another promise of God here in the ending of Zephaniah, and that is not only forgiveness and fellowship, but security. Security. Now, we thought about security last week from this same book of Zephaniah, so I won't belabor the point too much here, but it is worth noting that God's promise to the Jews returning from exile and to his people both now and in eternity is that our enemies will leave off troubling us, and we will be secure. Shout for joy, verse 14. Shout in triumph. Rejoice. Why? Because, verse 15, he has cleared away your enemies. That's why you will fear disaster no more, at the end of the verse. Why should we sing? Because, verses 16 and 17, In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. Verse 19, Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. Security, safety, protection. A mighty fortress is our God. Even now, we have this security. Even now, our great enemy, the devil, has only so much leash allotted to him. Like the ocean, 
God's word to Satan is always, Thus far you shall come, but no farther. And in the great day, as we said last week, the devil with his minions, both human and angelic, will be cast into the lake, the lake that, fern, that burns with fire and brimstone. For Christ in that day will have come into our midst, verse 17, a victorious warrior, riding on a white horse, ruling the nations with a rod of iron, but defending his people and making them secure. Because he is on our side... Even now, we need not be afraid, verse 16. Even now, we do not need to let our hands fall limp at our sides as though all were lost. But in that day, verse 15, He will have cleared away our enemies once and for all. At that time, verse 19, He will deal with all our oppressors. So that as David paints it beautifully in Psalm 23, and as we saw it last week in verse 13 of this chapter, we, like the sheep of a good shepherd, will feed and lie down with no one to make us tremble. And therefore, verse 14, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. So then forgiveness, fellowship, security, and then notice also God promises here at the end of Zephaniah restoration in verses 18 through 20. Restoration. Just think about all that was wrong, all that was broken, all that Judah had lost in her exile in Babylon. There was grieving in verse 18 over the appointed feasts. In other words, Verse 18 is saying people are grieving because the Passover and the harvest festivals that God had appointed in his word, but that Judah had forfeited because of their sin, because they forced him to banish them away off in a foreign land, are worth grieving over. We've lost these Religious, these spiritual times and seasons of worship, and rightly did the people grieve their forfeiture of these feasts in verse 18. And then surely also they lamented in verse 19 the shame of their situation, their status as outcasts in a land not their own. They had been embarrassed, they had been marginalized, they had been humiliated and trampled upon by by the Babylonians. And now they were ashamed, now they were outcast. And then there were those also in verse 19 who were lame, people who were just weak. Maybe not even because of the exile, but because we human beings really are but dust, Psalm 103. So there was plenty of reason for grief to go around in those days when Judah was languishing in Babylon, awaiting for God to call off the dogs and bring them home. Personal sorrows and weaknesses which we all face, need for religious revival which many of us will recognize in our own lives and our own land and our own churches from time to time. And then the embarrassment and the status of outcast that we often face too, living as God's people amongst a pagan culture round about us that thinks we're foolish. And yet God, in spite of that, calls for singing in verse 14. Why? Because of what he says in the last three verses of the book. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feasts. They came from you, O Zion, the 
reproach of exile is a burden on them. I will gather them, in other words. They'll come back and the feast will be restored. Behold, verse 19, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Bring this to the present day. Is the church in the world today languishing and in need of restoration like the Jews in verse 18 who had forfeited their feasts? Perhaps not to the same extent as Judah in verse 18, but I think the church does languish to a greater extent in this land at least than we are willing often to admit. We're not what we could be. Indeed, we're not what we should be. The appointed feasts, verse 18, the following of our God fully in all the things that he has commanded us is not nearly so widespread in the churches as it has been in times past and as it could be again with a season of revival. But God, verses 18 through 20, is in the business of revival, isn't he? And he will, either by revival in this age and certainly by Christ's coming to bring in the next, God will turn our shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And the same is true not only of our lagging behind in diligence, but also of the flack that we get from the outside, the status of outcasts that we earn, verse 19, the shame that is often heaped upon us for the areas in which we are diligent before the Lord. Like The Babylonians among whom Judah went to live, the culture around us too has no love for Christ or his ways or his gospel or his promises. And so when we live for Christ and we keep his ways, we're often scorned. And when we trust in his promises and hope in that which we cannot see, we're often thought foolish. And when we proclaim his gospel, sometimes we are made outcasts. But, says the Lord in verse 19, I will gather the outcast. And I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, verse 20, I will bring you in even at that time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And even if our weakness, like the lame man in verse 19, even if our weakness has little or nothing to do with our status as the people of God, living in broken bodies and dwelling in a fallen world just leaves many of us weak, doesn't it? Even if that is so, even if our trials are simply those of the frailty of life itself, there's a promise for us in this passage too, is there not? God will save the lame, verse 19, as well as the outcast. I will save the lame and will turn their shame into praise and renown. All of which is to say, our God is a God of restoration, physical restoration and spiritual restoration. As Charles Spurgeon said it, when Christ comes again, there will be a resurrection of reputations as well as of bodies. When Christ comes again, there will be a resurrection of reputations as well as of bodies, which means that when Christ comes again, no longer will there be any curse, yes, but also no longer will there be any cursing of God's people either. No longer will there be any pain, 
But no longer will there be any panning of God's people as ignorant and narrow-minded and pie in the sky and so on. Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcast and will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. By means of spiritual revival and physical healing, God can and sometimes does work these sorts of turnarounds even in our own day. And the restoration will be complete, and it will be final when Christ shall come again. At that time, I will bring you in. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. Or, as John Piper put it in his excellent poems on the book of Job, what we have have lost, God will restore that and himself forevermore and therefore shout for joy O daughter of Zion shout in triumph O Israel rejoice and exult with all your heart O daughter of Jerusalem and so the promises here are for forgiveness fellowship security restoration all of which gives us reason to sing in verse 14 and then also A final reason for singing, a final promise of the Lord is a serenade in verse 17. A serenade, a song from the lips of God himself. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exult over you. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. He will joy over thee with singing. Now, I couldn't have pulled this off at my wedding, but perhaps you've been to a wedding in which the groom serenaded his bride. And you can imagine that for her, such a song to borrow from King Solomon, for such a bride, the song of her groom would indeed be the song of all songs. And what of the song of Christ over his bride? He's singing it even now, I believe. Or you may have seen a father taking his little baby in his arms and singing her a lullaby, singing him a scripture song before bed, singing her Psalm 56.3 when she is afraid. And that is a beautiful song as well. And if that is beautiful, what of the song of the Heavenly Father here in verse 17 over his children? You see, there is singing around the throne of heaven, the songs of the saints and of the angels, but the most lovely voice, the most lovely singing, the singing that we might not have even realized was being sung until we open this book of Zephaniah is not just the singing around the throne, but the song that comes from the throne. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. He will joy over thee with singing. Indeed, he's joying over us in this way even now. Though his song to our ears in this world is faint, and though it is mediated through his written word, he is singing. But someday we will be in the glory. And in that day we will not only see him as he is, but we will also hear him just as he sounds. 
In the words of Charles Tindley's old song, this, Zephaniah 3.17, is one of those things that we will understand better by and by. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. And when we understand that it is God who is singing over us, it gives us reason, does it not, to sing back to him. As in verse 14, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Why? Because the daughter has her father singing over her. Yesterday, one of the men whom I have looked up to most in the world, a man who, because I listened to his preaching more than any other preacher, was like a pastor to me. Um, And yesterday, after a, a very brief illness, suddenly he passed from this life into glory, into the presence of Christ. And one of the themes he loved to preach was Christ the Beloved in the Song of Solomon or the Song of David's Son, as Dr. Campbell called it. Because the Song of Solomon is a song. It's, it's singing. And it's a song in its prophetic sense sung by and about David's greater son, Jesus. And it occurred to me yesterday that having passed from this life into the glory that is to be revealed to us, it occurred to me yesterday that Dr. Campbell is not only singing to Christ like he never sang before, but that he's now hearing the song of David's son, the song of Zephaniah 3.17, also like he never heard it before in this world. And you will hear it too, my friends, if you belong to Christ maybe sooner than you think. And that is something to look forward to, isn't it? That is something to look forward to. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy, with singing. And when Christ comes again, when the blessed hope of these final dozen verses of Zephaniah shall be finally fulfilled, in that day the whole earth will be filled with the glory of his song. So that both in heaven above and when the earth is remade beneath, you will hear with your own ears, believer in Christ, you will hear with your own ears the song that he sings over you even now in his powerful love. He will joy over thee with singing.